0: So Columbia University announced that they're having multiple different graduation ceremonies divided up by race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. Imagine being so woke that you become a segregationist. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing,
1: everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. Oh,
2: you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You
3: and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of
2: darkness.
4: Well, welcome to the variety program. We have a very big
0: one today. Very, yeah. yeah we, I mean, what's amazing is. I mean, all all the things we got on the various burners going on. So everyone already knows Hack Madness is underway. Hopefully everyone listening to this has already filled out their liberal hack bracket sheets, submitted them. Uh, The play and games are going on as we speak. SV and Singer have got a tight one going.
4: I can see that happening right now in the uh, way to online bracket. Uh, We also have uh, Jessica Taylor and Greg Bluestein squaring off in the fake news bracket. Folks, it's time to get involved. We're underway.
3: Yeah. And and we've, we've submitted our own brackets in our internal ruthless uh, slack. Uh, We, you know, we didn't want to post them publicly. We don't want to, you know, put a thumb on the scale here for our, for our listeners um but one thing i, I did want to comment on when when smug <laughs> posted his bracket his filled out bracket to the slack he he actually signed it uh so smug is is very pro signature verification on his mail in ballot
0: yeah you know i believe in in strong election security uh the signature match match up That's great a man practices what he preaches, which is what you get here on the Variety Program. We get authenticity through and through. That's right. No H.R. 1 garbage on, on on these bracket sheets for me.
4: <laughs> so uh, before we get into the meat of the program, uh, this is a, a rare two interview program. double header, Where we have Congresswoman Miller Meeks, who listened to the program. Uh, on Tuesday, where we were trying to highlight what's happening, and so she she's got uh, an interview that Duncan, I'll let you uh, preview. But then we also have Katie Pavlich, Fox News, our own star Katie Pavlich, coming on to talk about a variety of things. So it's gonna be it's gonna be terrific.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know I mentioned it, but can we talk about the power of ruthless? Like we had said, no one is talking about the situation. With Rep. Miller-Meeks of how Nancy Pelosi is essentially trying to steal that election. Like Miller-Meeks won the election, she won the recount. The election was certified. Now Nancy Pelosi is still trying to steal that seat from her. Ah, uh, you know the people listened. Word got out. Now you hear people talking about it. And and we got we got Rep. Miller-Meeks on the show today. That's the power of ruthless folks.
3: And the congresswoman is is extremely grateful for that. You know she's on the on the program today. Um, and walks us through, you know, from election night, when she won in Iowa's second congressional district, the process that fo- unfolded afterwards, the re-canvas, uh, the recount, the certification, and and now the craziness uh, and hypocrisy that we're seeing from Nancy Pelosi as they essentially try to steal her election from her. Uh, so I think we should just get right into the interview. Still it. Congresswoman, welcome to Ruthless.
1: Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on.
3: We'll get right to it because what's happening right now is just so wild. And I'm hoping you can give our, our listeners a little bit of insight. Back in November, you won a close election in Iowa's second congressional district. A little bit of a roller coaster ride since election night.
1: Do you mean the never-ending campaign? <laughs> yes. It feels like the never-ending campaign. So uh, we were, I had uh, several hundred votes uh, on election night. Uh, We knew with that close of a margin that um, as the absentee ballots came in and provisional ballots were cured, that that number would either grow or diminish. And so we were kind of prepared for this from election night on. I think we celebrated for about one hour and then knew that we had to get to work. Mm -hmm. So our celebratory time was very brief um, because we were preparing for the next steps. So in Iowa, Uh, If ballots are mailed, they have to be postmarked or barcoded by the day before the election. And they have up until a week, the following Monday, for those ballots to come in. So and then all the counties do their official county canvas. So that happens the week after the election. So on election night, I was ahead. Uh, When the counties did their official county canvas, I was ahead. Uh, There were several counties that had to recount ballots, uh, And so those were done and i was still ahead and as we expected our opponent requested a recount um, which you can do under iowa law and you have a certain time frame that you have to do that recounts are made of a recount board each county has their own recount board there is a member chosen by each candidate so there was one democrat member one republican member and then there's a third member who is supposed to be agreed upon by the two candidates And if they're not if they don't agree upon them, they're appointed by the district judge and the district judge and um, and the most populous parts of our district are not necessarily conservative judges. Uh, So throughout this recount process, there's uh, looking at the ballots under in accordance with Iowa law. So that whittled down our margin of victory to six votes. So we're now ahead six votes. Um, I get certified by the Secretary of State and a bipartisan uh, executive council, so three Democrat, or three Republicans, two Democrats, one of whom is the state auditor. Uh, the other is the uh, treasurer, signed off and certified that I had won the election, uh, and that went forward, and then I was sworn in on January 3rd. And I think an important thing about January 3rd is that there was um, a motion brought up by Representative Chip Roy out of Texas looking at the states that were being contested, that if those states' elections had irregularities, no representative from that state should be seated. And every Democrat voted that every election was perfect, efficient, valid, and every representative should be seated. They all voted. No one contested my race, and I would too. Uh, and so on January 3rd, I was sworn in, and I'm a full functioning congressperson. I know at the time uh, when uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi was asked, she said, We'll, we'll provisionally seat her. There is no provisionally seating. I'm a congresswoman. I'm functioning to serve the people of the second district. I vote. Um, I ask questions. I participate in committee hearings. I ask questions at those hearings and briefings. Um, and as you know, recently toured the border uh, with Leader McCarthy and other members of Homeland Security.
3: So you win the election, you go through the canvas, the re-canvas, you win the recount, your race is certified, and your opponent, Rita Hart, has the option to contest this in court, but instead of doing that, she appeals to Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats here in Washington, DC.
1: Yeah, that's exactly correct. She could go through the courts. The courts would have looked at any ballots of which she had any concern that had been rejected as invalid uh, ballots, Uh, but she decides to skip that. Now, why would you skip going through a court for 22 ballots? And she said, well, there were too many ballots um, and you know there was not enough time for the court to do that. But you know, I would think neutral and judges that make it all the way to the Supreme Court of the state would have the wherewithal to determine if they needed more time. And so she skips over Iowa courts because she knows she's gonna lose in Iowa courts and then she would take losing in the courts to Congress. So now she wants Congress to decide who gets to serve in the second district and who gets to be their representative. So it's gone from an election process to a partisan political process. And she even said she was interviewed uh, for uh, a, a TV interview, interview from one of our uh, state's uh, stations and said, well, I, you know, we had to, to go this route. We had to skip over the courts. We had to take it to Congress to get the results we need, not the results of the Iowa voters, not the results of Iowa law. And let me also add, because I know I can see your mind thinking of this, she was a state senator for six years. So if she thought the rules were not appropriate or were invalid at any point in time during those six years, she could have introduced election law changes. You can't just change the rules because you don't get the result you need. If for three times you don't have the result you need, then you refuse to go to the courts because you know you're not gonna get the result you need and then you have to take it to Congress. I think that explains everything. All the legal ballots were counted at every juncture I was ahead they want to take this to a partisan political process because might makes right.
3: You know, and it's, you know, I really worry that this situation right now with your race is a precursor of what we'll see if the democrats get their way in trying to federalize all elections and undo the will of state voters by passing HR1. Can you speak a little bit to that legislation?
1: Well, I think you're exactly right and um I try to take this out of the personal context. People should be outraged at what's happening, not because of me personally, but because of the precedent it sets and because it underscores what they're trying to do with HR1. So, all of those states that work very hard to get voter ID laws, and in Iowa, our Supreme Court upheld our voter ID law as being valid uh, and being constitutional. They also upheld the changes we made in order to have absentee ballots have a driver's license number or a voter identification number. So you have some voter ID on the absentee ballot or mail-in ballots. And so, but HR one totally does away with that. It federalizes elections. By the constitution, you know, elections are the province of the states. It was one of the reasons why we had to look carefully at what we did in, um, in certifying electors and the electoral college constitutionally, that is the job of the states to do. And what they're trying to do is to, um, to nullify voter ID laws, expand uh, mail-in uh, ballot voting, uh, reduce signature verification. I mean, it's really amazing the, the breadth of what they're doing in H.R. 1. Um, and I can only hope that it will not pass in the Senate. And if it does pass in the Senate, I can only hope that it would be struck down by the Supreme Court.
3: Down to brass tacks here. Now the House administration committee being let, you know, led by the Democrats is, is basically trying to overturn the will of Iowa's voters. Can you walk us through briefly the, the, the timeline of how this will, will transpire and what your recourse is, uh, if they do try to overturn the election, is it, is it a federal lawsuit? you know, what, what is your recourse?
1: So the House Committee on Administration, um, we've been asking for a timeline because of uh, the way things are functioning in Congress right now, the committees were not set up until February. So the House Committee on Administration only recently met, established their rules, and then uh, brought up um, our particular, our opponent's uh, petition. Um, And we asked them to dismiss the petition because there has never been a time where a state certified um, representative has been unseated or has had their election overturned. And um, they felt that there were enough uh, concerns uh, that uh, no one could know who won the election in Iowa too. Well, I'll tell you who knows who won the election in Iowa too. The voters in Iowa, which they're trying now to disenfranchise 400,000 voters, the secretary of state in Iowa knows who won and a bipartisan executive council in Iowa knows who won this election and I was sworn in. Um, So, but they're trying to use this political process because constitutionally, um, article one, section five, Congress shall seat its members, has the authority to seat its members. So using that provision, it it has not been, uh, you know, a representative has not been overturned or an election has not been overturned since 1984. That's the bloody eight in Indiana. And, you know, the recourse you know, could you uh, try to proceed and do a lawsuit? Um, I I don't know that that's really a a valid um, uh, tact for us to take. Uh, as I see it, if they decide to overturn the election, I have no recourse except to run again in twenty
3: twenty two. And and the hypocrisy here, of course, with everything that's transpired over the last few months, is just stunning. You know, I hope it doesn't come to that. Obviously, um, now we always ask. Uh, our guests on Ruthless here, three questions at the end. And uh, I feel like it gives a good insight, the lighter side of the people who come on on the program. First question is, what would be your last meal on earth?
1: Well, the problem is, I don't know if it's my last meal when I have my last meal. So <laughs> so I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage here, but I hope it's something really good like, um, you know, Jack in the Box tacos or, or chocolate ice cream from Grams. <laughs>
3: yeah. Tacos has been popular. Tacos has been a popular last meal. Um, A a few people have come on and and given that. And hey, I mean, I love a good taco. Question two, if you weren't in politics, what would you be doing?
1: Um, I probably would be uh, doing medicine. So I resigned from my practice last January. uh, But I'm hoping that while in Congress, uh, if, if I stay here, and we're hoping I stay here, uh, that I'll be able to do missionary work um, as well. But um, I would be practicing medicine. Um, it's going to sound terrible, but I'd be sticking needles in people's eyes, uh, which sounds terrible, but uh, it <laughs> save vision. So um, I would be doing cataract surgery, treating macular degeneration, uh, improving people's vision with glasses, uh, which is very rewarding. Uh, you know, all of my patients liked me regardless of what their political persuasion was. Um, And, and most importantly, it was a very rewarding career. I was very fortunate and very blessed. Um, As you know, I I didn't start out in medicine. I left home at 16 to find a way to become a doctor after being burned. And, uh, and was in nursing prior to medicine, loved nursing. uh, And I think all of those experiences helped make me uh, the doctor that I am today.
3: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Last, last question here. What motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat?
1: Well, you know, up until my run for the Senate, I was more familiar with the agony of defeat rather than the thrill of victory. And uh, and so now the thrill of victory may be snatched out of the, uh, you know, uh, out of the jaws. But um, I have a friend in Iowa City who told me, you know, I finally figured you out. You hate losing more than you love winning. Um, and so, you know, coming as an underdog, four kids uh, in a family of eight, parents not being formally educated, working you know just to try to become a doctor, I think I'm, I'm kind of like the underdog mentality. It's always the teams I choose uh, tend to be underdog teams. And so I think I just, um, especially when I think people merit, uh, I am a person who believes in merit, who believes you achieve by merit, who still believes the United States is one of the few countries where that can occur. And it's why it's so important to preserve that for for um, everyone in the United States, but in, around the world to serve as this model where, um, where we should be wanting to, to promote opportunity for everyone to fulfill whatever their potential is. I mean, and Martin Luther King actually said that best, You know, even if you're a street sweeper, be the best street sweeper you can be. We should all uh, rise to the challenge of meeting our, our potential uh, and to give our best selves. So I think I'm gonna have to say, I hate losing more than I love winning.
3: It's a great motivator. <laughs> well, I, I want to thank you, uh, Congresswoman, for coming on the program. It's it's absolutely stunning that you have to go through this process while also doing your job for the people of Iowa who sent you there to work. And I really hope this can get resolved um, as quickly as possible and that, you know, the listeners here on the program will You know, put the pressure on on the representatives in Washington to end this charade, and we can get back to the people's business. So, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Well, and thank you so much for having me on and bringing attention to this. As I said, it's beyond personal; it really does reflect a precedent and what's happening right now in Congress, and all of us should be concerned about that. We should all be outraged.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. You be safe, be well, and have a great day.
3: You too. Bye bye
1: bye. bye
3: So first of all, she's great. Duncan
0: great interview. Yeah, nice job.
3: Yeah, she's uh, you know, she's she's fantastic, really down to earth. Um, you know, the 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 one thing that was sort of a surprise coming out of this interview, uh, you know, cuz I had I had asked her, you know, what's her recourse? Is basically she has none. You it's, know, it's unbelievable. Wow. You know, that that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats could theoretically just unseat her. Um, And she'd have to run again in 2022. It's just absolutely brazen. And it's so hard to fully capture
4: the anger that I have at the just pure hypocrisy that Democrats are displaying. Nancy Pelosi is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. This this Speaker of the House told us for three months that state-certified elections are sacrosanct, and that's the end of the story, right? You couldn't talk about any of it. It was sacrosanct right up until a Democrat gets beat. Uh, and then all of a sudden they're going to have the house of representatives try to unseat a state certified member of Congress. I mean, oh, so I, 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 this has just irritated me beyond belief, as I imagine a lot of the minions feel the same way. And so I started looking at, uh, Nancy Pelosi and what she had to say about. And I, we, we ran across this just unbelievable clip. This is back in 2017 when she was talking about the election uh, uh, down in Alabama, Senate election down in Alabama, where a Democrat uh, Jones was about to be seated. In our House, when someone gets elected, we seat them.
0: We enfranchise their voters, Republican or Democratic. We don't say we have to wait for the paperwork. We hear the will of the people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the will of the people. Isn't that something? She is awful. I mean, the, it, it goes beyond hypocrisy. To, to me, this just strikes me as it's like grand theft auto in broad daylight, brazen. 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 I mean, what they, this group of Democrats
4: is the worst I've ever seen. I think, you know, I've had a running theory for years, that Trump's greatest superpower was turning his political opponents into a less lesser version of himself, mm-hmm. right? And I think what he's left behind with these Democrats it, are, are people who are just absolutely lacking all scruples, all integrity. They they are they don't even make a attempt to try to justify their hypocrisy. Everything is just a pure power play, and it's and it's
0: brazen. Mm-hmm. Just it's, just it's theft straight up theft the election was won the recount was won the election was certified and now they're still trying to steal it it's unbelievable how can you speak so passionately
4: about a principle mm-hmm. like state certified elections that oh gosh you know we we don't even wait for the paperwork we seat them i mean this is a matter of principle and then turn around in a course three months where
3: you're on the losing side of the election and completely reverse it without even addressing it. She will. She will at the same time wax poetic about you know the, the the rights of voters in states and protecting those rights and stopping the disenfranchisement of voters. And that's why we need to pass HR one while simultaneously disenfranchising the voters in Iowa's second congressional district. It's sociopathic
4: it's sociopathic. It, it, the brazen effort, just pure power. This is, Again, we talked about this on Tuesday. There's not, nothing to do with the good of the American people, nothing to do with their healthcare, nothing to do with their education, nothing to do with COVID, nothing to do with national security, nothing to do with immigration. Anything that's bothering us here in this country, they don't give a shit. That's not their interest. What their interest is, is trying to figure out a way to gain the system to elect more Democrats right and you you mentioned hr1 well the only way that they're going to be able to pass hr1 is by eliminating the filibuster so here we go yep the campaign to eliminate the filibuster begins all of a sudden you hear every democrat talk about how it's a, a relic of jim crow right it's a it's a racist tool which by the way democrats used the racist tool
3: to filibuster tim scott's police reform bill last year yeah literally last year literally last year. And they haven't introduced legislation on policing reform. No, oh. no, they did
4: a press conference with Kent cloths, but right, that was right. about it. That was all they, they did yep. in the, in the death of George Floyd to try to uh, address concerns that people had, They don't care. This isn't about that. This is HR one, right? Our first priority, they declared HR one. And it is an effort to try to rig every election in America to give Democrats an advantage but in order to do that as I said they have to they have to get rid of the filibuster well that's interesting what do you think that they said about the filibuster when Republicans had unified government let's yeah, cue good question let's cue dick Durbin on that what about that
2: nuclear option doing away with the filibuster well I can tell you that would be the end of the Senate as it was originally uh, devised and created going back to our founding fathers
0: <laughs> well there you go whoops like I said, it makes no
4: attempt. Now, Now Durbin was asked again on uh, Meet the Press now that he's in favor of, of doing away with the filibuster. And he said, well, Mitch McConnell convinced me th- that it's because of his abuse of the filibuster. Well, here's the problem. Mitch McConnell hasn't used the filibuster
0: between the time that Dick Durbin said that in 2018 and today because he's been in the majority. I mean, it's becoming so clear that any time The Dems want something. They say, anyone who disagrees with us is a racist. This is a Jim Crow relic. Wow, I can't believe you're a racist. Every (laughs) time. And they used it, again, they used it
3: to filibuster a Black Republican's police reform bill last year. They used the filibuster. Dick Durbin supported using the filibuster last year to do that. And now it's a Jim Crow relic and must be destroyed. It's fucking crazy. (laughs) Unbelievable. Mind blowing.
4: It's it, it. And here's another little bit that I picked up last night. Some of the minions were on board with me as I was on Twitter on this, but they've now changed eliminating the
0: filibuster from the nuclear option to filibuster reform.
3: Uh,
4: yeah. Reform. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Reform. They, they, they got the, they got the focus group results in.
4: I can't wait until Republicans take back unified government and reform abortion. <laughs>
3: or 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 reform gun laws i i think i think the uh i think the campaign slogan in 2024 will be reform the wall reform the wall Incredible. reform the wall reform the wall there we go
4: which is a good transition to another little bit that we're hearing from these idiots i mean Duncan, i think you were looking at a clip of, of an old clip of how uh, Joe Biden had handled the immigration question, because of course we have a complete disaster on our Southern border right now, which everybody in the White House somehow believes they aren't to blame for.
3: Correct, yeah. So you know, Joe Biden does this interview with Stephanopoulos where he essentially takes no responsibility for the crisis at our Southern border. The quote is, and this is Biden talking about himself in the third person. He says, the idea that Joe Biden said come I heard the other day that migrants are coming because they know I'm a nice guy. Stephanopoulos goes, they're saying this. Biden replies, yeah, well, here's the deal. They're not. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's really interesting, Joe. Um, that's, of course, not true. Um, National Review put up an article uh, recently, which basically breaks down uh, Biden's lie here. And in particular, you had migrants who came to the border and said, literally, this is a quote, Biden promised us. Biden promised us. So they are saying that. They are saying that. Well, who can blame
4: them? I mean, I think Biden believes because he can't remember anything. Neither none of us can either. Amazing. I mean, we're we were awake
3: during the campaign, right? I mean, I.
4: I'm looking what, what, around like, is everybody else, did I lose my mind?
3: I mean, in the hypocrisy, you know, knows no bounds. If you do go back and you look what, at what Biden was saying during the Democratic primary in 2020, um, it's incredible. So let's, let's play the clip from the Univision debate.
0: Are you prepared to say
1: tonight that you and President Obama made a mistake about deportations? Why should Latinos trust you?
0: What Latinos should look at is comparing this president to the president we have is outrageous, number one. We didn't lock people up in cages. We didn't separate families. We didn't do all of those things.
3: Incredible. He currently
0: currently has kids in cages.
4: Amazingly, though... They did it in the Obama. I mean, that we right, right. that's not up for debate. in fact, the the great scandal of covering the Trump immigration issue was that they were using photos from the Obama administration of kids in cages to say Trump was putting kids in cages. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and then he becomes president and puts kids in cages. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go, folks. <laughs> Perfect, mission accomplished, which is so good. but but again, I
4: what I want to get to here is the core of this which is are they to blame and there is no question they are to blame you cited the national review piece that talked about the specific rhetoric that they used about you know whether they were going to allow people into this country and grant citizenship and all that kind of thing i'm going to play a clip from joe biden in february of 2020
0: on day one, I'm sending to the United States Congress a immigration bill providing a pathway for 11 million undocumented, and I'm going to make sure every dreamer
4: is protected now. Well, they heard him. On day one. So you got to get there, right? And there, all of a sudden, the Obama administration's, what, or the uh, Biden administration's wondering why it is that so many people have shown up at the border.
0: Gosh, well, such a surprise. What
3: Who a
4: would surprise? have thought? What a surprise. And by, and by the way, they're wearing T-shirts that say Biden-Harris.
0: I mean, that's the thing is like for them to try and claim like they were told it, it's like, okay, they're wearing like the Biden campaign logo shirts saying, let us in. They, they, they got the message. They got the message. You can't tell us that you weren't putting that message out there.
4: I mean, they were saying, he was saying explicitly that they would not, they would not uh, turn people away at the border. They were saying explicitly that. And and repeatedly. I think that Univision uh, uh, debate clip that you just played, I think there's like four or five more instances in that one debate. And by the way, do you remember the debate in the middle of June of of the off year where they asked 16 candidates whether or not they would provide health care for the illegal immigrants and every single Democrat raised their hand? Yep. Including Joe? Message received. What's the message? You know, I don't know. I don't think there's any confusion about that whatsoever. And here we are now. We're now we're dealing with what is a huge humanitarian crisis and a and a border problem. Frankly, a national security problem. And they are to blame. And Joe tells George Stephanopoulos, "Eh, not my problem." Jen Psaki from the podium says, "Oh, we're not telling people not to come. Just don't come now." <laughs> Like they're taking dinner reservations.
0: (laughs) It's really something.
4: (laughs) You know? Yeah. Anyway, Um, look, there's a lot more outrage. We're going to stay on this Iowa 2 situation and this filibuster situation and the HR1 situation. Obviously, we'll cover immigration. But what they're trying to do here, we need to be very clear about. It is a, a political power play to try to eliminate conservatives from having any sort of governing power whatsoever. That's it. That's it. So this is our next guest, very strong voice on this and many other topics, Katie Pavlich, Town Hall and and Fox News. She's been a a warrior for many years for the conservative cause, and maybe we should just jump right into it. I want to welcome to the program a very good friend, an absolute talent. You know her from Fox News and the editor of townhall.com. It's Katie Pavlich.
2: Josh, thanks for having for having me on the show. I'm excited.
4: I mean, this is this is
2: Infamous, ruthless.
4: I know it. <laughs> I know it. And you know what? We're we're not so ruthless that we're going to make anybody uncomfortable here. We like to just sort of like keep it light, you know?
2: Yeah, it's good. <laughs> some of that, especially with everything going on, as you know.
3: Very, very. Oh, tough. By but, the way,
2: I'm filling out my uh, hackathon bracket, my Hack Magnus. Yes. I'm way done. So yes. I did well, that out.
4: Look, can I, can I, can you preview like who, who you have I, as a winner?
2: I can well, so I've only done the left side of the bracket, but right now it's between Ruben, Stelter, Don Lemon, and Max Boot.
4: <laughs> Absolute powerhouses, <laughs> every one of them. You can't go wrong.
2: started on the right side yet, so I'll get there.
4: <laughs> one of them is definitely going to be in it, right? And Stelter yeah. as a repeating champion, got to be the yeah. heavy favorite at this point.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Ruben's pretty close. <laughs> Ruben's pretty close, man. Cause she still has conservative in her Twitter bio and it's like
4: Totally. Totally. Sorry, For man. those I, of us who I, had I to
2: been my project. I'm doing it when I have some spare time. <laughs> I
4: love it. Well thank yeah. you. And the minions appreciate your participation. Yes.
2: <laughs> Limit your own bracket, everybody. We gotta see who wins.
4: That's right. So let's just jump right in. There is one thing that you wrote this week that really caught my eye on town hall and it's entitled a parent who criticized critical race theory has been placed on a hit list for harassment. Yeah. Uh, Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. So um, Ian Pryor is a former DOJ official and uh, he's now has his own firm and he's a concerned parent. Um, uh, Fairfax County schools, but also Loudoun County schools have now contracted people who are affiliated with critical race theory to come in and teach um, about critical race theory, which is this awful thing that pits kids against each other and makes you judge everybody by your skin color. And he wrote this um, op-ed, so to speak, but it's really well detailed and backed up by interesting studies and information. It's not just like an opinion piece
4: yeah, shark, about,
2: yeah, about, how radical racial uh, critical race theory essentially doesn't? He says it it, it rejects all nuances and statistics that might explain racially disparate outcomes, while well reasoned and articulate disagreement is considered evidence of white supremacy. So these school districts have essentially like paid outside consultants on anti racism to come in, and in Fairfax County, the um, the guy, the professor. Um, who said that Amy Coney Barrett, the now Supreme Court Justice, was a colonist for adopting two children from Haiti who probably would have died if they stayed in Haiti, uh, adopting them and bringing them into her family. She was a colonist, a a colonialist rather. Um, He was paid $30,000 by the Fairfax County School District to come in and give like a 20-minute Zoom talk about critical race theory. But so anyway, that's that's going on like generally in school districts around the country. Now in Loudoun County, Ian writes this op-ed about how he thinks that the Loudoun County School Board should not be engaging in allowing for this indoctrination of children in, in public schools, taxpayer funded schools, and teaching these children and using them as guinea pigs of, you know, an experiment of race critical race theory that's basically just communism in a lot of ways. So he writes in ed And now these women who are in and just other parents in general and other and a member of the school board actually are in this group called Anti-Racist Parents of Loudoun County. And it's a <laughs> Facebook group. Of course. It's a, that's it's a Facebook like. group uh, that is private, of course. So you have to be like led into the group. And he someone sent him all these screenshots about how. They're responding to his op-ed, including Beth Bartz, who is on the Loudoun County School District board, um, by encouraging members of the group to do things like hack into websites, which is illegal, um, to... We're um, encouraging to spread people. information, expose these people publicly, create online petitions, create counter mailings, create online profiles and join these groups to collect and communicate information. Um, hackers can shut down their pages or redirect them to pro um, critical race race theory slash anti-racist informational web pages. So they're advocating basically for illegal activity to combat people like Ian Pryor. And Ian's not the only person who's been put on this list, other parents though. So then there's more screenshots that are put out there of these people making lists of names of parents, like let's make a list so we know who's on the list of the parents that we need no to way. publicly shame uh, and put on this essential like hit list for retaliation for daring to comment about critical race theory. And so then the Daily Wire actually did a follow-up to this. And keep in mind, these are all like teachers who refuse to go back to school even after they get the vaccine as well. Right. Um, so the Daily Wire is saying that the sheriff is, is, has launched a criminal investigation into it to see like, why are they advocating for criminal behavior? Um, but the county prosecutor was elected with money from George Soros, he's one of those guys, and he's also a member of this anti racist loud county family group so i love the
4: anti racist <laughs> facebook yeah, like they, anytime anybody says that they're the anti racist they're like the the black box on instagram people were the first people to call the police if they see an yeah. african american walking exactly.
2: through their door, exactly exactly yes yeah. i call them the b3s <laughs> and it, it's it's that stands for deranged woke white women yep because there's three Ws, so the the D3s. So this is this is a D3 group. This is a bunch of deranged woke white women who are retaliating with illegal activity and behavior against parents who are speaking out <laughs> against critical race theory. Yay!
4: I mean, the thing is, thank God we have you, Katie, because you're you're sort of on the front line of fighting back on the deranged white woke woman
2: yeah the, the d3s i'm like they're the worst guys oh
4: my God. <laughs> you've been doing it a long time so well
2: their, their signs that say hate doesn't live here in their yard lecturing police in their yellow Lul- Lul- lecturing black police officers in their lululemon pants oh yeah you know making sure that they post on instagram and they feel really good about themselves and making a difference in the community and they feel really excited when they get to make a list of parents and you know they, you should hack their websites, redirect them. That'll get them.
4: <laughs> Your DMs must just be a mess with these with these people.
2: <laughs> the D3, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm currently engaged in a Twitter spat with D3 Alyssa Milano. Oh. So.
4: Well, tell us what's that about.
2: So she's on the uh, biological males should be able to play in women's sports train. Oh. Um, I'm not. Right. I don't care I'm not, it's not about hating people it's not about like you can be whoever you want as an adult but women should be a protected class in terms of I don't know title IX, which we fought for for like decades and decades and we shouldn't allow biological men to supplement women and take away opportunities from women and feminism I thought was about standing up for women so anyway we're in a fight about that
4: yeah no listen I you if there is a culture war that the left has waged, you can find Katie Pavlich on the <laughs> other side, holding up your values. I've, as long as I've been involved, I feel like that is a truism.
2: Doing uh, my best.
4: Well, but we need to do it more and more. And I I hope that all of our conservative friends and neighbors are, are paying attention to what's happening right now because this administration and House and Senate Democrats are off to the most left-wing start Uh, To a new Congress that I've ever seen in my life and everything from immigration to these political power plays trying to steal house seats pass Mm HR one eliminate the filibuster all this stuff is just about sort of power right it's nothing to do with improving anybody's lives.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's all about power. Uh, it's the only thing that matters. It's amazing that Dick Durbin was on the floor this week arguing that the reason we have to get rid of the filibuster is because nothing's getting through Congress. It's like, that's actually the entire point of why the filibuster was like, put in, because we don't want just bad legislation getting pushed through with the tyranny of the majority all the time. That's the reason why. Um, I love Mitch McConnell's response though. You know, He always warns them like that they're gonna yeah. regret things. And they never oh, listen to him. And no then like reason. four years from now, they're going to be really upset. But you're right. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that Joe Biden campaigned on being a moderate, uh, the fact that Republicans almost took back the House, uh, it's a 50-50 Senate, and yet we are seeing this insane far left push, uh, despite the fact that right. they don't have this massive mandate, right? Um, it is all about power. It's, it's solidifying power forever. HR one, especially is absolutely um, insane for a lot of reasons. You know, it, it it solidifies every bad thing that happened during the 2020 election that puts doubt in people's minds about why things weren't transparent and why things weren't explained and if there are irregularities. They just want to kind of solidify that and not allow anyone to ask questions. And it's just incredible that Democrats are allowed to talk about election reform. But as soon as a Republican brings it up, they're a conspiracy theorist, they're trying to make sure that Black people don't vote, that they, they wanna suppress the vote. That's right. so they're allowed to just like ram this thing through and talk about elections all they want, but the right has been put into this corner because of the actions of a few people, and they're not allowed to talk about it anymore.
4: Yeah, and meanwhile, the backdrop to that is Nancy Pelosi attempting to completely disenfranchise voters in Iowa's second district by right. taking away mm-hmm an elected representative, right? I mean, I just yeah. the fact that they don't even try to square the circle anymore, they make no mm-hmm. attempt to try to justify this position just blows my mind.
2: Yeah, and, and, and this uh, that seat has already been sworn in. It was right. not only validated and certified by the state, but the congresswoman has been sworn in and she's been voting. In fact, she was at the border this week, I think, yesterday. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this is all about power for them and they're always claiming in their public relations statements that they're all about unity and wanting to work with Republicans, bipartisanship, but they're not. I mean, they, they only care about solidifying power for them uh, as much as they possibly can, and they're clearly doing that with this far-left push that's been successful. I mean, the fact that we just rammed through a $1.9 trillion bill with a 50-50 Senate. Unbelievable. Pretty insane. Totally so
4: insane. It's just yeah. gonna get
2: worse. And then, like, what's the reaction to that, right? It's like the reaction is if you guys don't care, the right's not going to care either. So there's no going to be no compromise. I mean, it creates this situation where you can't work together ever because why would you? No, I mean they're never going to give the right credit for anything. So we should also do the same thing when we're in power.
4: Yeah, that's it's just a cyclical spiral that Mm -hmm. that keeps going. I want to get your thoughts quickly on the immigration situation, which I know you've been following pretty closely.
2: Yeah. So. You know, the White House keeps having these press briefings with Jen Psaki, of course, not with Joe Biden. Joe Biden's refusing to go to the border because, God forbid, he would have to take a press pool there to actually, you know, maybe go inside one of these facilities that are jam packed, 700 percent past capacity where they're violating federal law. Um, They keep arguing that they have a humane process, that the Trump administration had an inhumane immigration process and that their process is humane. This is not a humane process. Like, smashing thousands of kids into Border Patrol facilities that are jails made for adults is not a humane process. You know, encouraging human trafficking and sex trafficking, the Texas officials, including Greg Abbott and his uh, sex. uh, trafficking expert and director in Texas gave a press conference today. The things that they talk about, about what's going on, the forced prostitution, the reusing of children to get into the States. It's, it's really awful stuff. That's hard for people to listen to and talk about, but that's what this really means. And that's not humane. That is inhumane and they have created this. Um, and so I actually wrote a piece about this for the Hill today. If people want to check out like a longer version of the argument about how these policies are actually very inhumane while they lie and say that they have a more humane process. Nothing about any of this is humane.
4: No, not humane at all. It's and it was basically a bunch of people that were acting on an invitation that Joe Biden had provided them over the series of months in a campaign where he says, yeah. you know, nobody's going to be turned away at the border.
2: Yeah, you know? and it's just naive. I mean, it just emboldens all the worst criminal elements. And it's an expansive topic. You know, the cartels are now um, using this crisis to import more uh, narcotics into the country, which of course affects American communities, and, and then there's the COVID thing. I mean, the uh, the fact that they are not testing, yeah. when Pete Buttigieg wanted to do a, a a domestic flight program where everyone was required to be tested before a domestic flight, right. and they're not testing, they're leaving it up to local cities and NGOs, like churches, to test these people. I mean, Outranges. it's- but I can't get on on like I can't fly into the country without a test, and so they act like it's not their job. But they they've tried to mandate this for other people. They make no plan to keep COVID from spreading, and you know that'll take down the country again faster than anything else we've oh, seen totally. the past year. And it's like they just don't care.
4: No, no, it's a gotta fit the woke sort of prescription of policies that they've rolled out in the first quarter, which is just a complete nightmare. Listen, Katie, I I, I would. Talk to you for three hours about all these topics. <laughs> you, are, you are terrific. But I've got to get to three questions that we asked every single Oh, right. Yeah. Right? And this right. is, I mean, cuts to the core of you. So be aware. Be aware.
2: Okay. All right. I'm ready.
4: The first question, your last meal on earth, Katie Pavlich, what would it be?
2: Elk, tenderloins, and mashed potatoes.
4: Wow. <laughs> wow. can't like
2: campfire. You can't eat them like in a restaurant. It has to be the real deal. And that, you had to have hunted it yourself.
4: That is impressive. <laughs> that is that's the most impressive answer we've had so far. It, it too. You've given it a lot of thought.
2: Um, I guess you could say I've given it a lot of
4: thought. Yeah,
2: it's kind of weird that I knew that so quickly, but uh. <laughs> I mean,
4: did. You grow up hunting? I mean, you yeah, you grew up like Northern Arizona, right?
2: Yep. Yep. Grew up hunting with my dad, and our our ritual before the night before opening day for elk Hunt was to eat elk tenderloin as good luck the night before in camp.
4: Very so, good. Very yeah, good. Tradition. I love that. Uh, yeah. And for those of you unfamiliar, Northern Arizona is kind of more like a Colorado than it is yeah. like a, like a yeah. desert Arizona. Big difference up there.
2: Big, big difference. Yes.
4: Uh, it's great. Well, just in case you're interested in running for Senate, we still have a bunch of problems. <laughs> to
2: figure out. Not interested at all, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> seems like the worst job. No, <laughs> so thank you.
4: Fair enough. All right. So um, if you weren't involved in political journalism, what would you be doing with your life?
2: Ooh, I would probably own like a clothing boutique or like a salon. Oh, I like it. I like it. Or maybe a gun store, some kind of business. Yeah. You know? Entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. I grew up in a car wash. So my parents owned a car wash. So I kind of have that. That Got was it. really hard. So I wouldn't do it that again. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, a little easier. Not exactly. Mud shop. would be nice.
4: <laughs> I love it. Okay. So here's the one that really separates the wheat from the chaff. It's okay. uh, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat?
2: Mm-hmm. I think the thrill of victory, because I think defeat helps you in a lot of ways in life. Like I, I you know, I think you learn a lot of if you if you're that kind of person who can learn from your mistakes and you know, certainly I have for sure. Like if you do something the wrong way or you lose, there's always a lesson in that. So
4: that's it. good. That's okay. good answer. We've you can tell a lot about somebody, by the way, by the by those three answers. I think you pass I don't
2: wanna lose, but I can learn from losing. Like I don't think it's all is lost if you lose.
4: You're a well-rounded individual, Katie. Pavlich.
2: <laughs> That's my mom. She'll be very happy. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for joining us on thank you. We'll uh, do it thank again you. soon. Okay. So uh, first of all, she's great. And thank her so much for coming onto the program. But she, she, uh, she's really fired up about the, uh, the curriculum and the woke moms and all of the incredible sort of bullying that, uh, the woke mom and dads are doing to regular parents in their communities. And I thank God she's doing it.
3: You know, it's great. It's great. And it it is pretty incredible how, you know, we went from, you know, media elites and democratic politicians trying to cancel people and shame people. And now it's sort of just like permeated through to culture, you know, at the local level, which is terrifying terrifying the way to
4: online is now taking action in their own communities and it's
0: awful it's something the whole thing is that they just do not want any opposing viewpoints there's no dissent allowed you see cnn going after tucker now you're seeing it on the local level they just want to crush all dissent
4: yeah and you can understand why you know people with screws loose watch what's happening at the national level and try to emulate it at the local level. I mean, you get it. It's dangerous, but anyway, we're not going to put up with it here on the variety program. I can tell you that much. That's right. Uh, folks, look, this has been a really big week. We've got another really huge week. We have big interview, really big interview at the beginning of next week, but we've got hack madness throughout.
0: That's right. Everyone keep voting. Uh, I want to see, I want to see those sheets, take screenshots, take, take photos of your filled out brackets. Uh, let the hack madness begin. Absolutely, Smug. Sign us out of here. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, remember, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday, minutes Stay ruthless.